Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm getting excited, Lisa. We're about a week away from the Boston Marathon, and wow, that crept up on us. And we would be remiss if we didn't do an episode to uh, prepare all of our listeners who are heading up to Boston for the marathon. And Lisa, while we've done this before, I have to tell you, this is always my favorite episode. Even though we interview the most amazing people, I love talking with all of our guests. There's something about this conversation, and we've done it a few times, where you and I just chat and we just just basically provide all things Boston to anyone listening. And it's a little self-indulgent for both of us too, because it reminds both of us of all the things that we need to be doing between now and Marathon Monday. So So that's exactly um, what I was going to say. I was going to say, this is what gets my head wrapped around. Like you said, it snuck up on us. I usually am like, not even in the Boston mindset. And this call, this, this podcast that we do always gets me organized and um, feeling like I have a little bit more, I'm a little more uh, in control of my preparations for Boston. So yeah, so a little bit self-serving, but it's nice to share our experience over our many Boston marathons with our listeners and kind of the lessons that we've learned along the way and the little tricks of the trade and the, um, you know, it's, it's hard to go back to remember. And we've had a lot of questions from our runners recently who reach out to us who have asked, you know, just very basic questions that we kind of forgot that we didn't know at some point either. Like, you know, what kind of food can I get in Boston and where, you know, how do I take the tea or how do I get somewhere? Those are all um, questions we forget because we've been there many times and it's just, you know, now we just know how how to do it. That um, the first time we went, that was also, those were questions for us too. So it's nice to kind of go back, think about the basics and provide that, um, that advice based on our experiences. Yeah, so we we actually prepare for this. We spend some time kind of writing up what we want to talk about. And we know we've done this in previous episodes, but it never hurts to review the information. So for those listening for the first time who may not know, uh, we both have run Boston a lot. Lisa, what? how many Bostons will this year be for you? This will be number 19. Amazing. And you? And this will be my 12th Boston. So, so collectively, we'll have 31 after this, after this, uh, this year's race. Just like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors. flavors so. Yes. And, and it is very varied every year. Like you never know what you're going to get. So uh, we have a lot of a wider range of experience from, you know, running in the hottest of hot weather to the coldest of cold, miserable weather and all sorts of different um you know, just different scenarios that unfold. So, um, and and really it's changed so much over the years too. I think back to the first year that I ran in 2001 and how different it was from now. So things have evolved, things have changed. You really, I think probably one of the overarching themes of the weekend is you've got to be able to roll with it and trust your training and experience and enjoy the weekend. And that I think transcends all of the different years that we've been there. You know what else has not changed since the very first Boston? that you never know the weather until the, the morning of the we'll, race. We'll talk about that, but yes, I mean, I already, I play this as a game. I always tell people don't do it, but I play it as my game. I was starting 
to look at the weather and I actually follow um, somebody on Twitter. He's a, a meteorologist in the Boston area, Eric Fisher, and he has a Twitter account. And he always starts talking about Boston weather two, three weeks out, just kind of keeping an eye on it. And he's already started doing that. So I keep, I, I only use Twitter like once a year. It's around Boston and I always check his, check for his updates. So I, I it's kind of a game I play, but I know in my mind, I can't, um, you know, can't, uh, bet anything on any weather forecast until we're basically a mile about three of the race, then we can start um, anticipating what, what weather will be like. But uh, yes, that's a really good uh, word to the wise. And I think that's on a lot of people's minds and people start to do that now and start to get a little crazed with the weather. So it's okay to keep track of it, but just know it's going to change about a hundred times between now and race morning. So just rest assured, know that you won't know the weather right now. That's, that's about it. Know that there's a lot we don't know. So, so let's talk about the, what we can do one week yeah. out. So, you know, we're one week out from Boston. Let's talk about, let's start there and let's go through our thought process and what we walk our runners through. And, you know, one week out from Boston, we do start to think about goals and a lot goes into that process. And we talked about this a little bit in the last episode of our podcast, when you talked about kind of your goals and your goal setting. And I think the first thing that everyone needs to look at when setting their goals for Boston, um, two things. First, what is your, what's, what's your goal? What's your purpose in Boston? Um, you know, if you're somebody who already has a qualifying time for next year, or isn't interested in going back next year, that's not your goal is to go back to Boston next year, or you're not, don't have to set a PR for some reason. I don't think there are any reasons anyone needs to set a PR at Boston, but if those aren't, you know, if you don't have any compelling reason to go for time, maybe you're going to experience Boston. And so that maybe that's your, you know, your, your goal for, for the weekend, for the marathon is just to go and, and enjoy it. And, um, and, and that's kind of where you're coming from. The other thing you have to look at is your training. You know, a lot of us had a, a challenging training cycle, whether it was due to COVID or the weather or any other number of other factors. Maybe your training wasn't exactly what you thought it would be, but you obviously still want to go and experience Boston. Maybe you've got an injury and then you've got a more critical decision to make of long term. What if you want to come out of Boston and still be able to run the rest of the year? Do you want to, um, you know, what, again, you've got to really look at, like I said, a couple of factors. First is what's the bottom line here? If you want to requalify for Boston so you can go back next year and this is going to be your one shot, then maybe that's what you're looking at is your qualifying time. Um, if your training was great and strong and you want to have a strong race, great. Um, but again, if your goal, if you're, if you don't need to requalify, that's not your main point. If you really just want to enjoy the experience and the, the journey along the way, then, then, then that's going to be a different goal, but you can set in your mind. Um, your A goal and your B goal. And I would definitely look at, um, hopefully runners have had races or time trials or some type of, some type of baseline. Um, just your training runs, unfortunately, aren't going to tell you what your likely finish time will be. Um, so if you've got a race, like for our runners that did Cherry Blossom, that's a great race. We really went out and raced that at a race effort. You can put that in a race calculator and kind of get a range of times for marathon. Now, Boston's a little different because the course is a little more challenging, but you know, you can get an idea of where you are and you can make that your A goal and then maybe have your B goal of, you know, either maybe it's just requalifying or just, you know, enjoying the experience the entire, and that's not even a just, that's, you know, it's enjoying the experience. Maybe it's making it through Heartbreak Hills, feeling strong, whatever that goal is, have a B goal that once you get to race day, um, you know, to depend on the weather too. So once you get to race day, if it turns out it's like 2018 and you know, your, when your, your goal's out the window, or if it was like, 2012 and it was really hot and your goal is out the window, you have a B goal to fall back on and you can make a race day decision as to whether you're going to go after that A goal or that B goal. That's a great point. There's also, um, 
do you want to have a time goal or a process goal? Maybe you're just not quite sure. Maybe it's your first Boston where you don't want to put any stress in yourself in terms of aiming for a particular number, whether that number is your A goal or B goal. So instead you can have a process goal. I want to have a negative split, which is really hard to do at Boston, but a great goal because that forces you to start out a little bit slower. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So it's not just about numbers. Goals can also be about the process and how you want to execute the race. And um, if you're reluctant to set any goal, what if you just want to go and see how you feel that day? Guess what? That's okay too. The only thing you don't want to do if you do decide to do a, I'm just going to see how I feel that day, you don't want to start out too fast. So if your goal is to assess during the first 10K how you feel, you still want to make sure you start out at a very conservative pace. And we'll get to that in a moment about what that looks like, because of course, this, this course starts out downhill. So one week out from Boston, Lisa, you just mentioned, it's very important to think about your goals. Um, you also, one week out from Boston, you want to really meaningfully focus on sleep and hydration. Aim to get, we're going to give you a number, aim to get eight hours of sleep. That may seem daunting. If you're going to be running a marathon, that's more daunting. So make a plan, make a plan with your family. If you live with others, make, make a plan with yourself that you are going to time your day, work backwards, that you're in bed and that you, when your alarm goes off, you have done everything you can to get eight hours sleep. Now we understand that many people struggle with sleeping through the night. We get that um, good sleep habits. That's a whole other podcast episode, but do your best to be in bed and get eight hours of sleep. Hydration, we don't just mean drinking a lot of water. Stick a noon tablet or a, any element or any type of hydration drink, electrolyte drink that you prefer, have that with you and just drink a lot. Um, generally, we as runners pay attention to our hydration. It's individual because everyone, depending on your size, really that's dependent on how much water you need. But the general rule of thumb that we tell our runners is that your urine should be light colored and copious. So whatever that looks like for you. Um, I know for myself, drinking the traditional eight, eight ounce glasses a day doesn't even come close to the hydration I need. I generally tend to drink at least 80 ounces, um, if not a hundred ounces a day of some of hydration. And that can come in the form of water, electrolyte drinks, soup, um, foods have hydration, fruit has hydration. So just really pay attention to that. That's really key. You don't want to arrive in Boston with your giant water bottle and start your hydration during marathon weekend. You want to be um, well hydrated. And uh, third thing you want to do a week out from Boston is make your purchases. So look at your nutrition stash. Do you need new socks? Do you need new body glides, salt tabs? Check your shoes. Um, do you have warm throwaway clothes? You can go to Goodwill and pick some up. We're not telling you you need to purchase new clothes, but Hopkinton can be very chilly in the morning and you definitely want to have clothes that you don't mind losing. And um, finally, one week before Boston, and this is really important, especially people who have a lot going on outside of training, watch your exertion levels beyond just running the week before Boston. So Maybe it's not the best week to go on that family hike for several miles. Um, maybe it's not the best week to decide to go on a really long walk. Or if you are on spring break, like many of us are this week, if you have a family vacation plan, 
figure out a way that you're not walking as much as you need to. Um, perhaps you're going to Disney or something like that, where there's a lot of walking, uh, map that out and make a plan and really try to avoid walking that much more than you need to. And we know that's hard, but really think about all the things you're doing to exert yourself. And that includes stress too. minimize stress, uh, physical activity. Don't do anything that's abnormal. So really try to think about the taper, not just about a running taper, but also a taper in life so that you get to Boston relaxed and rejuvenated before you have to do the really hard thing on marathon Monday. So Lisa, now that we're more than one week, less than one week out from Boston, let's start with about Wednesday, midweek before Boston, what should people be doing about um, five, six days before the race? Yeah. So the, I mean, I think the main show focus there is going to start to be on nutrition and getting our bodies ready to run a marathon. I did want to back up a little and mention, and this is something you can do five or six days out when we start to get a better idea of the weather, it's not going to be perfect, but once we start to get a better idea, you may want to, that's when we are usually scrambling on Amazon to buy rain gear or warm gear or cool gear. So you might want to take a little peek at the weather at that point, just to get a sense. Is it going to be really cold? Is it going to be rainy? Because if it's going to be rainy, you're going to want to um, dock up on some rain gear. And last uh, in 2018, in 2018, we went online and bought, um, bought a uh, uh, motorcycle rain suits, which are built, which are, which are um, uh, designed to keep rain and water out at high speeds. So I thought that would be real bit, you know, that's going to have good um, closures. And, and so again, five, six days out, take a little peek at the weather, see what it looks like. If you need to buy any last minute purchases, so you're not freaking out and scrambling the day before, you know, to try to find rain gear or an extra pair of um, boots or shoes to wear to the, to the start. Um, think about like, you know, what you're going to need. Um, but the big focus is going to be on nutrition. And that's when we started to shift our um, percentage of our nutrients to carbs. And, you know, we talk a lot about having healthy, complex carbs, and, and that that is good. And five days out, I think that's probably pretty safe. But we also want to start to focus on easily digestible, digestible carbs and also nothing that's going to um, either A, upset your stomach, anything new or different, like you don't need to try anything new or different. And along those lines, um, you know, I, I know of runners who in the past think, okay, week before race day, I'm going to, I'm going to cut out the, you know, salty snacks I normally have. I'm going to eat really well and wholesome. I'm going to, you know, kind of change the way they eat, but in what they think is a good way. But in the process, they are eliminating the sodium that they normally eat. Maybe you're like, okay, I'm not going to get fast food this week, but if you normally do, or you normally eat something that's salty and all of a sudden you're cutting out your sodium that may affect you on race day. So eat the same way you always have during training. Hopefully during training, you've been eating in a, in a wholesome way and um, you've been practicing, but don't make any drastic changes. But the one change that you're gonna wanna make is a bigger focus on, on the percentage of carbs that you're eating. So we like quinoa, rice, um, you know, bread is obviously good, um, potatoes, sweet potatoes. Um, we encourage runners to get their electrolytes through food. So bananas, um, salty foods, um, some calcium naturally. Um, and in addition to those nutrients, making sure um, your electrolytes are, you know, are, are balanced and well stocked. There's no need to overdo it, but have a noon and sip on that during the day. Um, again, making sure you're getting those electrolytes. If you're not getting them through your foods, making sure you're getting them through your, um, through your hydration. Yeah. And we're certainly, and we've talked about this a lot. And of course, if you haven't listened to our um, registered dietitian that we had on uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Kelsey Beckman. She she talked a lot about 
um, the importance of integrating electrolytes. And also uh, Nancy Clark, who was on our podcast last year, she talked a lot about integrating carbs. And those are two great episodes to refer back to. But in a nutshell, we're not saying that anyone needs to eat more calories. It's just shifting what you already eat toward a carb heavy snacks and meals. So for example, for breakfast, if you're more of an egg person with a small slice of toast after a run, shift that. So you're having two slices of toast and less eggs. Or another idea is, um, let's say you're someone that really loves for breakfast cereal. There's nothing wrong with cereal for breakfast, but um, if you want to instead the week before shift to having pancakes, that's a great, that's also a great option. So this is an opportunity to enjoy the carbs. And we're not saying that it needs to be carbo loading, it's carb shifting. And anyone who's listening to this is probably pretty familiar with what that looks like. But, you know, nutrition, it's, it's very individualized. So sometimes it's hard to sort of wrap your head around um, gosh, what should I be doing? And there's a lot of information out there. So a good rule of thumb is that if, if generally your snack is one where it's like 50% carb and 50% protein, make it 75% carb and 25% protein. So if you're looking for some ideas, especially because you're heading to Boston, you're going to be doing some traveling, some really great portable options. Of course, this tried and true bagel Bagels are so popular. It's a great portable carb option. I've talked about this before. I really like dates. Dates are really rich in carbs. Obviously, if it's not something you've tried before, don't eat a bunch of dates marathon weekend, but that's something I'm used to. And I really like to pair that with peanut butter. It gives me a lot of carbs and a little bit of protein. A lot of breakfast foods are carb heavy. We love oatmeal. You don't have to just have oatmeal for breakfast. That's a great option for a snack. Um, or pair it with a little bit of protein for one of your meals, that's absolutely fine. But think about the carbs that you like and just focus on snacks and meals where there's a little bit more carbs and a little bit less protein and fat so that your body is able to store those carbs. And to that end, you're also going to be drinking a lot of water and electrolytes. So if you feel like a little bit more bloated or if you've gained some weight over taper week, that is normal and expected and actually a good thing because what that means is that your muscles are holding on to those carbs. So you need that energy. You need those stores. So it is okay if your body's holding on to that water weight because carbohydrates is partially water and you want your muscles to hold on to that. So if you feel a little funky, we're not saying that, you know, just don't weigh yourself. That's all. Just don't worry about it. We have runners that have freaked out about it before. We understand. We really do. But don't worry about it. You're doing the right thing by making sure you have carb-focused meals and snacks and hydration. Yeah. And I think a common um, error a lot of us make is that we're not running a lot that last week, which that's another point five to six, six days out. Your running volume is down. There can still be a little bit of intensity to keep your legs sharp, but your volume is way down. So I think a lot of people feel like, well, I'm not running as much, so I don't need to eat as much, but that's a trap to fall into. Like you do, you have a marathon coming up. Your muscles need to be storing that glycogen, like you just mentioned. So I think that's really important, you know, five to six days out. The other thing I start to focus on is packing, starting to set things aside. I'm also making sure all of your like logistical um, things are taken care of. So the first thing is, you know, double check with the airline, double check with the hotel. I would even have, and you may echo this based on last year's experience, I would even have in my mind a backup plan if something goes wrong with your flight. 
um, and you know, you get delayed, like, do you have a backup, right? Do you, are you going to drive? Are you going to hop on a train? Are you going to get a different flight? Like have that in your mind. I think a lot of us don't you just think everything's going to go smoothly, but that doesn't always happen. And we saw a lot of that in October where on the week, marathon weekend, a lot of flights were canceled and yours was almost canceled. So have a backup plan, confirm with your hotel, um, you know, check out the maps of Boston, check out the, the T, the MBTA website will give you a, a trip planner if you're planning on taking it. Just start, start, get your, get your bearings and start doing that so that once you get into Boston, you can hit the ground and feel, feel pretty confident. Uh, make sure your, um, you, everyone should have received an email with their bib that you can download and load into your Apple wallet. Uh, make sure you have that very easily accessible, whether that's in an email or in your wallet, because you need that when you pick up your bib. Make sure your vaccination card has been uploaded to the site that the BAA sent out and have a backup copy in your phone, a picture of it um, with you. Um, so again, like all of those little logistical things that you just want, you don't want anything popping up uh, during your travel or once you get to Boston that you kind of makes you freak out. So check everything, verify everything. And um, you make a packing list if you want, make a packing list and start to and start to set things aside. Um, and, uh, you know, just make sure again, that you're not rushing at the last minute or panicking at the last minute. Yeah, so some, we were trying to come up with some items that maybe one wouldn't necessarily think of right off the bat for a packing list for Boston. So some of the things we came up with, unusual items that you might wanna think about packing include trash bags, because that's a great thing to sit on or use to wrap around yourself, God forbid, if it's lightly raining in Hopkinton. Also, extra shoes. Uh, it's never bad to pack an extra pair of running shoes, but we're thinking um, along the lines of if Hopkinton is extra muddy, pack an older pair of shoes and plan to leave them in Hopkinton where they'll be donated so that when you walk to the start line, you can put on your fresh and dry pair of shoes and not run in the muddy shoes. That is so key. You also similarly may want to bring with you to Hopkinton an extra pair of socks, so therefore pack an extra pair of socks. Um, pack or purchase in Boston if you don't have a have room, a blanket. Um, in addition to the trash bag, you may want to sit on a blanket or again, wrap said blanket around you. And looking at the weather, often temperature changes are pretty drastic in April in Boston. And what that means is you want a warm jacket because you're going to be outside a lot on marathon weekend. A lot of the BAA events are outside, so you want to be dressed warmly. And the last thing you want to do uh, the days leading up to the marathon is exert extra energy shivering. So really dress warmly and have warm clothes with you so that you can enjoy the outside activities and not be freezing cold and expend that extra energy. So now we've packed. It's marathon weekend. And depending on when you get up there, let's say for sake of example that you plan to arrive in Boston on Saturday. We encourage um, those who arrive, whether it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, your first errand should be to get over to the expo and pick up your bib. And that is because if you're interested in buying anything at the expo, things tend to sell out pretty quickly. So you want to get there early. And then of course, the other reason is you just want to avoid crowds and you want to get there. And it's, it's really, they're so good, the BAA and all the volunteers. It is a very organized and expedited system, but nonetheless, there's sometimes a little bit of a line and we don't want anyone to be stressed. So get to that expo early, check out the BAA app on your phone, download that app 
the app provides all of the vendors at the expo. So you can actually make a plan and avoid wandering around this huge expo. And we know it's really fun, especially for first time Boston marathoners to go to the expo, but you waste a lot of energy at that thing. So kind of look and see where you want to go, what booths you're interested in seeing and just go directly to those rather than wander around for two hours. It takes a lot out of you and believe us, there's, it, it's, it's not that exciting that it's worth compromising your energy levels. Um, and then also plan some lunch and dinner options. We mentioned earlier, heading over to Trader Joe's and picking up some snacks, which is located right across conveniently from the expo. There's also all up and down Boylston Street, a lot of great options, including a sweet green, a kava, chipotle, um, sushi places, lots of good carb-friendly lunch and dinner options that are quick. So those are some things people asked us about, and uh, those are all available right right by the expo. Yeah, and I'd say carry a water bottle with you too, um, because again, like you said, if you're out for a couple hours and you're walking around a lot, I know I often forget to drink. So then that's when you want to be hydrating. So carry that around with you. Keep an eye on the time. Um, plan, you know, look at the app, look at the schedule for the weekend and figure out what you want to do. Like, what are your priorities? And then plan around those and plan to get back to your hotel and rest in between. Um, but it's, it's a little over, it can be overwhelming because there's so much going on and there's a lot of excitement and uh, you can get wrapped up in that and find yourself out for eight hours and not eating and not drinking well. And then you get back to your hotel and you're exhausted. And then you start panicking because you think, oh no, I did too much. So plan, you know, look at the schedule of events for the weekend. It is really fun to go um, up and down Boylston Street and um, to go into some of the, you know, Tracksmith has a, has a store there and to go into the Marathon Sports um, store. Like it, it's kind of fun to go explore some of the um, runner specific, uh, you know, attractions and and um, and the fan fest that's outside. So, but pick what you're going to do, pick a couple things, you know, get to the, like you said, get to the expo early, get out of there, go do a couple things, go back to your hotel rest, you know, maybe go back out. Um, Boston is a great city. It's very, everything's very easy and accessible. If you've forgotten anything, if you need to do a grocery store run, there are grocery stores, there are Marshalls and TJ Maxx and, you know, places if you need to go buy a blanket last minute or something, everything will be there and it's all very accessible. So, you know, don't panic, don't over overthink it, uh, but, but make sure you have a plan for the weekend. For sure. And have a plan for dinner Saturday night too. I know a lot of people make plans for the dinner before the Sunday night dinner before the marathon, but Saturday night is an important meal too. So make a plan for that. There's of course, lots of options in the North end, but there's so many great restaurants. We, we really love our sushi. So that's something I know you and I will be, be dining on. Yeah, I don't last mind. year we actually did uh, Uber Eats, right? Didn't we do Uber Eats last yes. time? So you can certainly do that to your hotel too. If you don't want to go out and walk around and stand in lines or, or battle crowds, like you can just order Uber Eats to your hotel and kind of sit in your room, hang out in your room. That's my favorite thing they do is hang out in the room, put my feet up and you know, just take it easy. So that's another option, but absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, clearly once, um, you know, that's, that's kind of Saturday and Sunday during the day, Sunday night comes, um, you know, let's talk about that. First of all, we want to make sure to oh, lay, wait, we lay forgot, out. Oh, we forgot one something? thing. There is one important event. Everybody needs to go to oh, yeah, our shakeout run on Sunday. Well, yeah. So <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I back, back up, get to Sunday morning. Yes, yes, our shakeout run for sure. And and it's okay if you don't want to do a shakeout run. Some people just don't want to do anything on Sunday, but come meet up with us anyway. And our shakeout run's very easy. One or two laps around around um, the commons and just a fun chance to, to meet people and hang out and get some goodies from us. Um, yes, definitely come join us on Sunday morning. Sorry, I didn't mean to skip over that. 
Yeah, and that's later in the day. <laughs> yeah, after the shakeout one, maybe after you celebrate Easter, if anyone celebrated Easter, um, you head back to your hotel and or wherever you're staying and and really get organized, lay out your stuff, like take out your bib out of your bag, make sure everything's there in case you have to run back to the expo and pick something up or to one of the um, you know, marathon sports or if you need realize that you don't have something, at least then you know early in the day on Sunday. So have your nutrition laid out. We like to put our nutrition in, you know, if you have nutrition that needs to go in baggies or, you know, is, is organized in a certain way, make sure your watch is charging, make sure your garment's plugged in and charging, your phone is charged and um, pack your bag that you're going to check in the morning. So everyone will get a clear plastic bag and um, there will be a peel off number that you'll stick, your, your bib number, you'll have a, a version of it that's a peel off sticky number and you'll stick it on the clear bag that you can check. There's a couple of clear bags, but the big clear bag that has a space for your number is one that you can check in the morning before you get on the buses. We'll talk about that in a second. Pack that, figure out what do I want at the end of the race? I want, you know, probably want dry clothes. You may want compression socks. You probably want slides or like UFOs or something to put on your feet because your feet will be hurting after after a 26.2 miles. I mean, you've done this before, you know. So those are some things you can pack if you're not going to bring your phone with you. I turn off my phone and I, I do check my phone. It's always been safe, luckily, but um, I, I turn off the phone and I check it so that when I pick up my bag, my phone is fully charged and I can use it then. Um, so if you're going to pack that, whatever you might need to pack, if you have like a, you know, a, if you're using the T and you have a T card that you need to check that you want, that you want to be able to use after. Although I will point out that in past years when I've used the T, they let all marathon marathoners use it for free. But if you have that just to be safe, you want to put, put that in your bag. So again, not only what are you going to need for race day, um, but what are you going to need in the bag that you're going to chuck? And then you'll also have a smaller bag that's a gallon size bag that you can bring on the bus. So what are you putting in there? You're putting in, you know, any late breakfast that you're going to have. So maybe your Cliff Bar or a bagel or whatever it is you're going to want to eat on the bus. Um, you know, you can you can bring with you like a, a tarp or a like a, uh, a plastic bag or you know, something to sit on. So that's trash something you have a trash bag that folds easily and fits into that. Um, but you know, think about that. That's what you want to plan out. And you want to do that early on Sunday in case you have to run out last minute to, to fill in for something you realize you didn't have enough gels or forgot something. So here's what we do. And this seems to work for us. Um, it's been a couple years. So we each have a big fanny pack in addition to our small bag, because the BA, the small bag that the BA gives you that you're allowed to bring on the bus is, is not super big. So if you have extra things, you can stick it in, in a we both have pretty big fanny packs. So if you need extra things in addition to that, you can put it in there. Also, if you're wearing a sweatshirt to stay warm that you're, you intend to throw away in Hopkinton, if that has big pockets, you can put some things in there. So don't worry too much about the small bag. And one of our runners asked if it was okay to bring extra shoes. No one's going to question you if your shoes don't fit in the small bag. Just what they're trying to do is just make sure that no one's bringing on the bus, you know, a giant suitcase or a backpack or something like that. But generally it's not a problem. The volunteers are, are very nice. They're not going to refuse you from getting on the bus. If you've got a little bit more than what's in the clear bag, but you just want to be reasonable about it. So fan, we've encouraged people to use fanny packs as a way to still be hands-free and have those extra items in there. Yeah. And there is a security check and we'll talk about that in a second too, as you get um, to the buses. So um, the more you have, the more it may take you a little bit longer time for if you don't have it in the, just the clear plastic bag, um, it may, that may take a little bit longer. So, um, you know, my, my theory is make it as simple as possible. Although if the weather is bad, you're going to probably want more things and you, you'll have more to carry. Um, but keep it simple, uh, make it so that you can just get on, you know, get through the security lines, get on the bus, 
um, pare it down as much as you can without sacrificing warmth or 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 you know comfort uh, if we're going to be waiting in Hopkinton for for a few hours. So let's let's transition that to the marathon Monday and getting on the buses. Um, the buses load at Boston Commons, so depending on where you're staying, you do want to give yourself plenty of time to get there, especially if you're taking an Uber or you're taking public transportation. It can be a little bit slower in the morning because of the crowds and the, and the traffic. So give yourself extra time. The other thing is you're going to actually want to, if you're checking a bag, you're actually going to want to backtrack from the Commons and closer to the expo, closer um, down, uh, you know, toward the expo area is are the buses. So you really are going to want to start back there and kind of make your way down to the commons from there. So you're gonna to wanna to come drop your bag and then continue on to the commons. So it can take a little while to get through that process of checking your bag, walking down to the commons. So give yourself, um, if your bus loading time, let's say is nine o'clock, I would say to get to the area of, you know, the the um, uh, the bag check area by about 8.30 um, to check your bag, walk down to the common. And uh, it depends on the year. Last year, they were actually very strict with allowing certain color bibs to get on the buses at certain times. Before that, they were not as strict. As long as you had a bib on, they weren't um, strictly enforcing. So we can't say exactly what's going to happen this year. I think last year was an exception because of COVID and because of the rolling start, it was very strictly enforced. Um, but it's better to get there early. So if your voting time is nine o'clock and you get there 10 minutes to nine, hopefully you'll be able to get on onto the bus early um, or even earlier. You know, If you want to get there early with the chance that you may have to wait if they're not letting those color bibs on at that time, but we'd err on the side of being early. Great point. So in addition, and probably the trickiest part about Boston is planning out your breakfast and sort of your mid-morning meal, because of course, many folks aren't even starting the race till closer to 11. And as a result, we're getting up early still. We're starting, our bodies are starting to be, our bodies are awake probably at least four or five hours before you're actually going to start to run. So as a result, you want to account for that and you want to be able to take in as much carbs as you can before you run the race. So the general rule of thumb is that you want to eat one to two grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight per hour, and you want to stop eating one hour before the race starts. So it's not as complicated as it sounds. So think about what your weight is in kilograms and then either have as many grams of carbs per hour or double that if you can handle that. Um, so what we will put this into practical, uh, practical foods. What we like to do is as soon as we wake up, we start our breakfast. So we have our oatmeal. We talked about this before. We really like the Quaker oatmeal. We buy it here in Maryland and we bring it up to in Boston because it's already in a cup. We stick hot water in it. It's got a good 50 to 60 grams of carbs in a single serving. That's wonderful. And so we have that as our first breakfast. And we usually pair that with maybe a half a piece of fruit or, or some peanut butter, a portable Justin's peanut butter, if we can handle that along with our electric drink. And um, I also have a little bit of coffee. And then that is breakfast. And then we get to the commons, we have with us some portable foods and we leisurely eat those between the time that we get to the Boston common and the time we're in Hopkinton. And it's basically two more rounds of eating. And so in those rounds, we'll have a cliff bar, a banana. I have some dates. I just mentioned, I like dates, a bagel. 
And we're basically trying to get in as much carbs as reasonably possible without, of course, making ourselves sick and without getting to the start line feeling extra bloated. But it's an opportunity to be able to really eat more carbs before you get to start to race. And it's really a great thing. As much as people feel like it's so weird that the race is starting so late, how wonderful that we have an opportunity to top off our stores and be able to race um, completely carb loaded before we start. So um, Lisa, do you wanna talk about specifically what you eat um, for breakfast and what you eat on the way to Boston? Um, yeah. So the last few years, what has worked really well for me, I mean, first of all, I would preface this with that. I feel like I'm very carb loaded heading into marathon Monday because we typically um, have our sushi and our candy that we get in Boston. So my, I'm loaded up, so I'm, I'm good. But the, the morning of the race um, are both of us really enjoy the um, I think it's the Harvest Quaker Harvest. It's a single size oatmeal, a single you know cup oatmeal you can buy in the grocery store. It's the purple one. It's the berry flavor of the harvest select. I think it is. I have to look up the exact name, but it has 51 grams of carbs in that one cup of oatmeal. So in that one cup is you know, ton of carbs for a, a small, relatively small volume of food. So I always start out with that. And I typically, I will add onto it. Sometimes I'll just sprinkle some sugar on top, even just to add a little bit extra sugar or, you know, some, a little bit of extra carbs, um, into it. Um, so I start with that. Um, I usually will, um, even snack during the morning last year, I did this and I actually worked really well. I had some peanut butter filled pretzels that I was also snacking on kind of throughout the morning to add a little bit. And then I bring um, one or two cliff bars with me on the bus. And that I think is another maybe 40 grams of carbs. I forget exactly how many it is, but, um, but I essentially end up getting about over a hundred grams of carbs in the course of the morning spread out between, and it never feels like too much because it's an oatmeal. And then I may have a pop a few of those, you know, uh, the um, peanut butter pretzels. And then on the bus, I will have, or once we get, you know, if we're staying in Athletes Village this year and we have some time, I will have some of the Cliff Bar. So that's usually what it looks like, or maybe two Cliff Bar, depending on how I feel. I think you've also had, you've had a half a bagel, I feel like too, in the past, right? Do you ever no. eat bagel? No. no banana? Okay. Banana, yes. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes if I have a banana, sometimes I'll have a banana, but yeah, I'll add that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's another thing that's really nice about Hopkinton is they will have um, on site. You're right, have, actually, I forget. You know, you're right. They, they, in Hopkinton had bagels for many years where you could go up and grab a bagel and I would have a bagel in Hopkinton. Thank you for reminding me that, yes. Sure, yeah. So if you feel like you don't want to pack all that food, know in Hopkinton, rest assured, not only will they have Morton's waiting for you that you can take with you um, on the race, and we'll get to that in a minute, but they also will have plenty of bagels, bananas, and I believe in the past they've had coffee too for those that drink coffee. So um, just, just keep eating the bland carbs that we just mentioned and know that it's, it's a great opportunity to be able to stock up. But the rule that we really want everyone to adhere to is stop eating. And you can have small sips of, of your electrolyte drink, but really stop eating one hour before your race time start. You really need to give your body time to digest everything and you just don't want to be stuffing, especially we get nervous. We tend to eat, like just stop eating an hour before you're supposed to start the race. So let's talk about walking to the start line, the walk back up. I want to oh, back yeah. up just a little bit and talk about getting to athletes village and what to do for those hours that you're in athletes village. I think the number one tip 
I have for that is as soon as you get off that bus, go get in line for the porta potties. Oh yeah, because yeah. porta potty lines can get long, and I mean if you're on an early bus, they'll probably be pretty um, sparse at that point. But get get in line, get in a porta potty, um, and then you might want to get right back in line again shortly thereafter. We tend to like cycle through, you know, um, porta potty lines because those lines can take a while, and the last thing you want is to be stressed that your that your wave is leaving and you're standing in the porta potty line. So. Um, definitely, you know, plan that as soon as you get off the bus, get in the porta potty line. Don't waste energy. Find a place to sit. Um, you know, if you if you can get there early, you likely get a spot under the couple of tents that there are available. So if it is raining, you'll get a spot under the you want you'll, you will want to get a spot under the tents. Um, so that's that's just my main point of, of about uh, you know about the time in Hoppington. It goes by a lot faster than you think it will. So keep an ear out for announcements for your wave, and they're posted in the participant guide of when they release each corral for each wave. So keep your eye on that time. And it is about um, it's a little more than a half mile walk down to the start. So you'll call your corral. They will usually hold all the runners uh, up closer to Athletes Village before they let them start walking down, and then they'll release you. Start walking down um, towards the toward the start corrals. And another tip is that right before the start corrals on the left-hand side in the parking lot, I think of a, of a convenience store, there's a parking lot there. They have a ton of additional porta potties. So for some reason you think you're going to need to use the porta potties again, make that walk to the start, make sure you get there quickly and then hang a left and you can um, go those porta potty lines are typically not, not so bad. Um, so, uh, you know, you want to give yourself that time to get, you know, walk to the start. If you're going to have to take some clothes off along the way, there are volunteers and bags the entire way to toss your donated your donated items even once you get into the crowd so you'll make that about you know one kilometer walk down to the start and then they'll have directional signs that tell you whether to go to the left or the right to get to your your specific corral um, which you'll know from your bib and you can tell if you look up your um you look at the start list on the baa website it will have your wave and your corral listed together um, and so you'll get into your, that's when you'll get into your corral and you'll have some time and so you'll have a good warm up to, to walk to the start. Some people you'll see jogging down to the start, but you know, you know, whatever it takes to feel like you're getting warmed up. But once you get in the corral, you're still going to have some time. So that's when you're going to want to still do some, you know, high knees, butt kicks, um, kind of just stay warm in, in your corral as you're waiting for the start. Yeah. So don't get rid of your clothes in Hopkinton, bring your warm clothes with you because it's a long walk and a little bit of a weight in the corral and you don't want to be expending any extra energy shivering. Donate those clothes right at the start line in Hopkinton. So now it's time to start your race. And um, even if you're, whatever wave you're in, it will feel official. They will officially start the race for that particular wave. The gun goes off and all of a sudden you start running and you look around and you're like, wow, this is kind of crazy. I'm on this like kind of narrow road and it doesn't feel like it's this big race. And that's, actually really nice. It's calming because the town of Hopkinton is a small town indeed. And therefore, when you start running, it's not this huge thing. It's like you're running with people in your wave and everyone's running kind of the same pace as you ideally, because that's why you were placed in that wave and use that opportunity to just stay calm and keep your pace really easy. And, um, we know everyone listening, if you're interested in this episode, you're definitely someone who's heard this before. You really want your first few miles down that hill to be easy. Uh, just to give you an idea, though, it's the effort needs to be easy. So let's say your marathon pace is eight-minute miles. If you are running 8.15, that's, that's great because not only is it 10 to 15 seconds slower than your projected race pace, 
but also because it's a downhill, it's going to feel that much easier. Give yourself that advantage to run 15, 10, 15, even 30 seconds slower, whatever you need to do to ease into that first few miles of the race. It will so serve you well during the last uh, 10K of the race if you can start out easy. So pacing strategy for Boston. It's tricky, guys. You definitely want to make sure during the first 10K, it should feel really easy. It's basically downhill. There's a few rollers. There's a few little uphills there and here and there, but it should just feel easy. You should not be breaking. You should allow the hill to kind of the downhill. It's very slight. Just allow it to carry you. Don't have your turnover be efficient. Uh, don't pound and just really try to focus on keeping your feet quick and light. Think about sort of conserving those quads and using the downhill to your advantage. Um, there is something though that sometimes I think folks forget to note about the Boston course. And that is, while the first um, half of the Boston course is downhill, there still are some uphills in there. Yes. And don't forget that. Yeah. Early on in the course too, I want to say by mile two, there's actually, you look ahead and you see this very long um, hill coming up in front of you. And I know my thought every year is, wait, isn't the first half supposed to be downhill? It's not entire. it's net downhill. And there is a tendency to go out too fast because it is mostly downhill, but there are hills. And that actually is a good thing because it will help you moderate your pace. It will also help change the muscles that you're using early on in the race. Um, but um, that's, yes, I think that's important to note because I remember last year, somebody else saying to me as we were running, wait, where's, where'd that hill come from? There aren't supposed to be any hills in the first half. <laughs> there are, there are some uphills. It is net downhill in the first half. Yes. And to that end, even in the first half, there may be a few miles here and there where a little bit more of that mile is uphill than downhill. And as a result, you know, your split, your, you, whether you're using manual or just allowing your Garmin, you know, to note each mile, you'll see your mile split might be a tad bit slower. Don't allow that to freak you out. Don't say, oh, oh, I'm slowing down. I got to make up for it in the next mile. Just maintain an even effort. Don't surge. Don't try to stick to exactly what your watch says, but instead be in a general pace range and recognize that the undulation of the course will sometimes allow your body naturally to be a little bit faster on some miles, a little bit slower, but stay, stay in your head. Don't allow what your Garmin says to indicate the success of your race. Just move on and go to the next mile and don't freak out about it. So with respect to pacing strategy, we've talked about this a lot. The goal is during basically until you make that right into Newton, you just want to conserve, conserve, conserve. Um, if you're running your marathon pace and you feel like it's really comfortable, don't say to yourself, well, this is feeling really comfortable. I think I might pick it up a bit. Just wait, wait to pick it up a bit. Use the opportunity to just stick to your marathon pace, stick to what you practice. And then when you get to Newton, the hills are going to feel there. It's not going to feel like there are anything you haven't done before, but it's more just the placement of the hills and knowing that you just basically ran downhill for so long, for a couple hours. And then all of a sudden you're entering a completely new terrain, a new course terrain. And so while you're new, just, just know that your watch is going to reflect some miles that are slower. That doesn't mean you're not performing well in the race. It just means that naturally you're going to slow down in the Newton Hills. And there are some downhills too in Newton. Don't use those downhills to fly down and pound your quads to make up for the fact that 
your mile was slower during the uphills. It's all to be expected. It's all part of the race. What you really want to do is maintain even effort. And that may look really different when you're heading uphill, especially when you're in mile 17, 18, 19, that even effort is going to look different on your watch. That again, it doesn't mean you're having a bad race. It means in that moment, you are racing exactly how you should be racing in Boston. And if you feel a surge of energy, that's great. Use it to your advantage and use it in the downhill. Don't pound. And then remember that once Newton's over, the rest of the course, if you've done it right, allows you to pass people. You can really start picking people off. If you have conserved properly and if you executed even effort throughout the race, particularly in Newton, you are going to be able to run really optimally during the last five miles of that race. You can pass people. You don't have to maintain your marathon pace anymore. If you want to go faster, that is your time to do it. But there's one key thing that one must do throughout this race in addition to paying attention to pace. And that is, of course, eat. So Lisa, you want to talk a little bit about how to eat during the Boston Marathon? Yeah, this is obviously very important, um, but not only um, you know what to eat, how to eat, and, and thinking about it. And we even encourage our runners to write it down on their arms if they have to remember when to take nutrition, because if you fall behind in your nutrition, you're going to struggle. You're, you're going to feel it at the end. So our recommendation, our base recommendation is at least every 30 to 40 minutes. And now for some people, it's easier to split it and take half and half at like every 20 minutes. I know for us, when I used to use um, honey stinger chews, I would actually take out my first baggie of honey stinger chews at about 20 minutes and just start snacking on them. And it was almost a continuous snack. Finish that bag, put it away. A few minutes later, take out another bag and it would be over the course of several miles. So it, it's a frequent, um, you know, just the frequent uh, topping off of your glycogen stores without doing it, without overdoing it. And everyone should have trained and knows, you know, kind of what their, what their limits are. Um, so that's, that's really important. One thing I want to point out about a couple, a couple things first is I like to try to time my nutrition before I hit a water station so that once I take it, take the nutrition, I can then also grab some water. Um, you know, again, that's sort of a personal preference. I think with Morton, you need that less than with, um, gels or, um, shoes that need that water to digest. So, um, you know, if I know a water station's coming up, I'll usually grab out one of my nutritions and I will take some so that I can then um, grab some water. But, but to me, one of the most important things about nutrition, you can have the best laid out plan. If something happens, I, particularly I'm thinking about the cold weather and the rain where I could not physically use my hands. And I know this happened to you too. And a lot of people couldn't get their nutrition out and into their bodies, basically, just because our hands were so cold, we were dropping things. We couldn't manipulate things with our hands, our gloves. It was just too hard and we couldn't get fuel in. So I, you know, you've got to think about that now if, in case there's a, something happens. What if you drop some of your nutrition? You know, what, what are you going to do? You have backup. You're going to take something from the course. Um, I, I think, like I said, we can all have our best laid out nutrition plan, but also kind of think through what happens if something falls off. What if you start getting GI distress from something that never gave you just GI distress again? We talked to, um, you know, a dietitian that we had on a couple of weeks ago who said hydrate, because a lot of times that GI distress is because you're dehydrated and the, the nutrition is not able to enter your, your digestive system properly. So you're having GI distress. So that's when you want to maybe grab water and take a little break from, from your nutrition. But you got to think about um, the, the, the things that could happen that could throw you off your nutrition game and have a plan for getting around those. Because I know the year 2018 when it rained and I could not get the nutrition. I just couldn't um, get my chews out of my baggies. And then I was trying to bite through the plastic and try to get, it was a mess. And I finally gave up that, that I think from mile maybe 16 on, I, I was just, I was 
bottomed out. I was hitting the wall because I had no nutrition in me. And so I you know, wish I'd had a plan of, do I have a backup in case I can't get that nutrition in me? So this year I've got Morton and I know I can rip it open with my teeth and I can suck it out of the package if I, if, if I can't use my hands well. So that's my backup plan this year. But I think that's kind of what people should be thinking about is, you know, what happens if your nutrition plan doesn't go exactly as you, as you planned it out of, uh, as it looks on paper. Great point. And speaking of nutrition, also don't forget about electrolytes. So we um, pack, we take salt tabs. Um, I know you like salt stick. I like Enduralite. Um, keep, put those in a place where they're not going to dissolve. A lot of salt tabs, especially in heat, tend to dissolve. So um, I put mine in a plastic baggie and I put it in an area that's accessible and I take a salt tab right at the start and one every hour. And I will tell you, even if it's not that hot, I still take them. It doesn't hurt. It's just it's just yep. extra electrolytes. It's never caused any issues for me. And um, that's in addition to your gels or chews, because a lot of these gels and chews do not have enough electrolytes. And we also understand and encourage people to not take, of course, Gatorade on the course at the same time as a gel or chew. So that's a missed opportunity to take in more electrolytes because you're taking in water with a gel or chew instead of Gatorade. So and let's just explain why we say don't take in the Gatorade, especially on the course, usually Gatorade Endurance, which is a stronger formulation of Gatorade, but that also has sugars in it. So if you're already taking um, something that has some sort of sugars, you know, your, your nutrition on the course, and then you take Gatorade on top of that's a double hit. And that could cause GI distress because your system can't digest all of those carbs at once. So that's why we say, so if, if you've practiced it and it works for you, great. In general, though, we say, you know, if you're not taking any nutrition, that's fine to grab some Gatorade if you've practiced with it before. But if you've just taken nutrition, wash it down with water. And that's why we, that's why we say that. So just what I do is um, I, of course, take my nutrition with water. I also when I'm not taking nutrition, cause I take my nutrition like you every 30, 35 minutes and I'm doing more than this year also. Um, I will switch some Gatorade in my mouth at a point when I'm not taking nutrition. So definitely you don't want to take Gatorade at the same time as your nutrition, but if you don't, if, if it doesn't bother you to take some extra Gatorade in between, that's totally fine. We just don't want the mixing of sugars at the exact same time. Yep, exactly. So um, yeah, so that's, I think, kind of the strategy, um, you know, troubleshooting if things start to happen along the course, um, visualize that now and anticipate it now. So that could be a side cramp. Like, what are you going to do if you get a side cramp? What if, you know, mentally you start struggling, start thinking of your, what's going to pull you out of that mental downward spiral now, because if you start that downward spiral and, and don't stop it, your, your race is pretty much done for. So figure out like, you know, once you get to, and, and there will always be a challenging spot. And I mean, even my best marathons my best races have had challenging parts where I thought why do I do this <laughs> I just want to be done and getting out of that you know whether that lasts you one minute or 10 minutes getting out of that is really important so all of these are you know what if you go out too fast and you you know you kind of screwed up yourself by going out too fast like well, think through these things and how am I going to mitigate the you know the the effects of that so if I get a side cramp okay I'm going to grab some water from a aid station because I know that could mean that I'm dehydrated I'm going to take a you know quick minute walk and then easily, you know, ease back into it. Um, mentally I'm breaking down. What am I going to think about? What's going to take me out of that? Uh, you know, I went out too fast. All right. Like I'm going to have to pull, you know, I'm going to try to pull back at a certain mile if I, if I realize that I'm out too fast. So, um, you know, all of those, um, all of those potential issues that can come up in the marathon, just have a, have a game plan for them. Go work through that in your mind this week 
And as much as visualizing yourself running strong on the course, also visualize how you're going to manage any any potential setbacks so that they're not um, they don't ruin your race. And uh, my suggestion for managing a potential setback when you get into a dark space is because it can get really dark, right? <laughs> is yep. Think about your why and also think about someone you want to dedicate a mile to or your race to, because sometimes when we think about others and we kind of place sort of the meaning of our efforts on something else that's bigger than we are, it kind of helps us through those darker times. So if there's someone, you know, for example, who's struggling through something and you want to dedicate a mile to them, or you think about the example you're setting for your, your kids, or um, maybe if you're a teacher, the kids you're teaching who are following you at the same time, whatever it is, that's going to be bigger than who you are at that moment that will allow you to sort of step outside of that dark moment and say, yeah, I'm having, you know, a tough moment right now, but this is why I'm doing this. And this is who I'm doing this for. And I'm dedicating this effort to this person, or I'm thinking about this going on in the world. And, and that is why I'm out here today. So especially if you're raising money for charity or if you're a charity runner, that's an automatic why and certainly that gives your run meaning and purpose. But I think we all do this marathon thing because it is hard. There is something very appealing about the fact that you are able to overcome these tough moments, whether in training or racing and succeed. So look at the tough moment as an opportunity to say, I'm going to overcome this challenge, just like I've overcame challenges in my life previously, and I can do this. And, and don't put too much emphasis in that moment on your time. Put emphasis on the fact that you're in Boston and you're going to overcome this moment and get to that amazing finish line. So Let's talk about that finish line. Yeah, let's talk about the finish line. This is my favorite. <laughs> I can still remember the first time I ran Boston and just, I can really feel it and see it. Uh, right on Hereford, left on Boylston. And at this point, um, from, a, from a vanity standpoint, you're going to want to shed any extra stuff you've got. If you've got like gels <laughs> still stuck in your pockets, if you've got, the funny story is, is that in 2018, there was a enormous pile of trash bags that people had used as ponchos at the right on Hereford, because what they did is they took that right on Hereford and thought, oh boy, here come the pictures, the finish line pictures. I'm taking off my trash bag that I wore the entire race because we all needed it. And there was this entirely huge, it was like the funniest thing. I'm like, where did all these trash bags? Oh, right. People are taking them off because they know the pictures are coming. So from a vanity standpoint, this is when you check your, fix your hair, check your, uh, check your bib, check your, make sure your bib's visible, check your outfit, make sure everything looks good because you're taking that right on Hereford and, and let the crowds pull it's like sucking you to the finish it's amazing so you take that right on Hereford left on Boylston the cameras will be clicking you're gonna you don't actually can't really see the finish line as soon as you turn left it's there it's a little bit probably farther than you think it is but it's there and and enjoy it like that's your moment like that you know if you take an extra 30 seconds or a minute coming down Boylston it doesn't matter that you're finished you know your finish time will not matter that experience is something you will always regardless of what year it is for you my first year last year like I always remember that part of the course the most when you take that right and then that left and you just know that you made it and you're heading to the finish line so um you know smile <laughs> smile for the cameras uh enjoy it soak it all in and um you know once you get across the finish line there's actually a long process to go through to get out and that's on purpose because nobody wants to stop immediately now if you have medical issues there's a there will be a ton of medical volunteers they're checking on everyone are you okay do you need help if you do they will take you right into a medical tent but otherwise you've got a long walk and again that's purposeful because we want to keep walking keep the blood flowing 
um, and not stop suddenly. So you're going to walk uh, a, a quite a distance. You're going to get a medal. You're going to get a heat sheet. You're going to get your food, you know, goodie bag of food. Um, thank the volunteers. They are amazing, especially the years when the weather's horrible and they're out there for hours and hours handing out medals and handing out heat sheets. Thank the volunteers. Um, you'll walk through all of that. You will eventually walk to the where the buses are if you checked bag, if you checked a bag at the beginning. Um, I will give one word of warning because we all start with runners that are about our same pace. When you go to claim your bag, it's usually everybody else that was in your corral that's also there to claim your bag. So if you have family there that you know you'll be able to easily meet up with, and there are family reunion areas where you can set a point outside of the um, secured area ahead of time where you want to meet up then you can have somebody bring your bag. But otherwise, anticipate a little bit of a wait. Last year was so nice because we didn't start in corrals and we were spread out with our with our um, finish times. I got my bag faster. The volunteers already seen me coming, saw my bib number and had my bag ready for me as I came up to the bus. So that was an exception though. I still remember 2018, those pouring torrential rains and freezing cold and we all crossed the finish line and all we wanted was our warm clothes. And my bus was the most crowded one to get our bags back because we were all in the same corral and we were all finishing around the same time. So just anticipate that, but you'll find your bus with your bag, get your bag, have a family meeting area set up because it is very crowded and very hectic. And there is a secured area, several blocks around the finish area. So check out the finish line maps ahead of time and have an idea of where you're going to meet your family afterwards, if you have family or friends there. Great point. And I would say the, the biggest advice in terms of the finish line is do not allow your time to at all cloud your accomplishment as you cross the Boston Marathon finish line. Who cares? While we all want to do our best on the day that we are given, there is something so magical about that finish line, no matter how many times you've crossed it. And that is a moment in your life, no matter how many times you've achieve that moment, you want to savor it. So regardless of what happened before you got to that finish line, when you cross that finish line, celebrate your accomplishment and know that you are part of a very small club of people in the world that has accomplished the same thing as you. And you are a badass because of it. And never allow your time to define you or who you are as a person or a runner because you just ran the Boston Marathon. And that is a tremendous, tremendous undertaking from training to the finish line. And you deserve to be celebrated. So um, Lisa, just as we anticipated, I'm now getting really excited for Marathon Weekend. Um, I'm particularly excited to reunite and meet so many of our runners and listeners at our shakeout run at 9 a.m. at Brewer Fountain at the Common on Sunday. We hope many folks will be able to join us there. But if not, we hope if um, you see us out and about, um, please say hello. We can't wait to see and meet so many people as we did uh, the past few Boston since we started this podcast. It's always such a treat for us to be able to see people and just uh, meet people from all over the country and all over the world. And uh, that for us is just as exciting as the marathon itself. Here we go. All right, Lisa. Well, I think the next time we see each other in person, we'll definitely be in Boston. Yes. So I look forward to our girls weekend. <laughs> I can't wait. All right. Well, have a great week and happy taper, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others 
and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.